Hello. Hello, welcome back again. Welcome to another exciting episode of Calm in the Divine TV. My name is Yujiro Seki. I'm a director, writer, and the producer of the documentary Calm in the Divine. Calm in the Divine is about the Buddhist sculptors of Japan, and I'm ready to present it for the first time in the world. But before I do so, I thought it would be a great idea to introduce basic concepts with Buddhism and the history of Buddhism so that when you guys finally watch my documentary, you guys can watch at the maximum value. So we've been talking about the Buddhist statue of Japan uh, for a little bit. Uh, now we're going to go even uh, deep into the world of a Buddhism. So uh, I'm very excited that you are back again. Uh, Mr. Mark Schumacher, welcome back again. Thank you. Hiroshiku. Thank you so much. So, uh, yeah, in case uh, anybody who doesn't know anything about you, please tell us about yourself. Okay. Um, I've been here in Japan for over half my life, living in the ancient, or not ancient, the medieval capital of Japan, Kamakura. And uh, this is where I fell in love with Buddhist statuary, and I've uh, been uh, studying statuary, their meanings, the gods, Buddhism, temple life uh, for the past 25 years. And I've created a web page, the A to Z Photo Dictionary of Japanese Religious Statuary, which you can find online at onmarkproductions.com. And once you get to the homepage, there's a picture of a Buddha. Just click the Buddha, and off you go. Awesome, awesome. It's a wonderful resource, wonderful website. So I encourage everybody to uh, take a look at the website. So, uh, Mr. Merck, uh, today I would like to ask you a little bit, a little history about the Buddhist statue Lee, how it traveled from uh, India to Japan, I know it's a big topic, so I'm really sorry for asking you a loaded question, but I think you can give us some idea of what, it, what it's all about. Please. Well, let me start uh, from a different perspective. The word Buddha. The word Buddha is an Indian word, uh, a Sanskrit word, and it originally was used to refer to the founding father of Buddhism, Shakyamuni, who founded Buddhism at 500 BC. Buddha, the term itself, means awakened, and enlightened, and liberated. And even today, the ultimate goal of all practitioners of Buddhism is to attain Buddhahood, to become awakened, to become enlightened, to become liberated. And uh, even today in Japan and most of East Asia, uh, the, the schools of Buddhism say that anyone can, be, can attain enlightenment, anyone, you, a woman, a man, poor, rich, you don't have to be a monk to attain enlightenment. And some schools even say you can attain enlightenment in this life, uh, the quick path to enlightenment. So 
Consequently, nearly all schools of Buddhism believe there are many, many, many Buddha, and that the Shakyamuni, Shaka Buddha, the founder of Buddhism, he is only one among many different Buddha. Okay, are you following me? Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. Thank you, sir. So, so then, as many viewers do know, um, Buddhism originated in India around 500 BC from a man named Shaka Muni. And in Japan, he's known as Shaka Buddha, Shaka Nyorai. And he was the first man to achieve enlightenment. But for the five centuries after his death, his teachings were preserved only in the memories of his disciples and followers. Nothing was written down. There were no written records. There was no artistic representation. There was no humanistic or anthropomorphic artistic statuary. There was no statuary of the Buddha for, the, for 500 years. It wasn't until around the first century of the Common Era in Northwest India, very close to Afghanistan and Pakistan, Gandahara, that we see the earliest humanistic representations of the Buddha. Now, by this time, the first century of the Common Era, by this time, Buddhism had also spread to Central Asia, had spread to Southeast Asia, and more importantly, had spread to China, where it blossomed. And from China, it spread to Korea by the fourth century. And from Korea, it spread to Japan in the middle sixth century, around 550 AD or so, it came here to Japan. Now, by this time, the representation of the Buddha and Buddhist deities, the representations, had been standardized. I mean, so the Buddha all share certain common characteristics. The Bodhisattva all share certain com common characteristics. The Japanese received these and followed suit, and they still uh, use these, uh, common, these common attributes. In the early, early years in Japan, um, for the first 200 years in Japan, metal, metal casting, usually gilt bronze, was the preferred uh, way to make a statue. Although you did have clay statues, dry lacquer statues, wood statues, and stone statues. But in those days, metal was the preferred material. It wasn't until around the Heian period, uh, 10th century or so, where wood became the primary material for making Buddhist statuary, and then wood has dominated up till today then as a, as a material for making stat statuary. So I've often wondered why wood became the preferred method, and I think I have two answers. Um, one is that Japan has abundant forests, and they have wonderful cypress trees, nutmeg trees, alcova trees, you know, keaki, hinoki, uh, any number of different kinds of woods. And the second reason I think wood was preferred is uh, goes back to Japan's ancient practice of tree worship. You know, for the longest time, the Japanese 
have revered trees as the home of their own indigenous kami, their own indigenous gods. So I think those are two, two probable reasons why wood dominates in the world of Buddhist statuary. Now, just as a rule, a rule of thumb, let's take a look at some of the shared characteristics among the Buddha class. And then we'll take a look at shared characteristics among the Bodhisattva class. So the Buddha, of course, this is a, this is a piece that I bought in Cambodia. Uh, this is from the Buddha class, the highest level of spiritual consciousness in Buddhism, the goal of all practitioners. Nearly all Buddhas, you can identify easily, they have this spiked hair. In Japan, it's more of a, a spiral curl, not spiked. They have a lump on the top of their head, a bump of knowledge, I call it, all-knowing. They have a third eye, all-seeing. And they also say that from the third eye um, issues the light that illuminates the universe. They also have elongated ears, all hearing, all seeing, all knowing. Then another common characteristic by which we can identify a Buddha is the, the hand gestures, the mudras. And I'm going to show you another little guy here. I don't know if you can see it well. Um, but here, this is a Buddha, Amida Buddha. He's got the curly hair, the lump of knowledge, the third eye. He's got the elongated ears. And you, maybe you can see it here. He's, he's got a characteristic hand gesture. It's like this, which is the welcome to my paradise hand gesture. Now, a lot of Buddhas have special hand gestures as well. So if you know the hand gestures, you can more than often identify the statue very quickly. Uh, Shaka Nyorai, the historical Buddha, the founder of Buddhism, has this fear not mudra. Yakushi Buddha, the Buddha of medicine and healing, carries a medicine jar in his left hand. Um, um, uh, Dainichi Nyorai, the cosmic Buddha, the sun Buddha, has very interesting uh, hand gesture. Uh, the, the five fingers of the left hand represent the five elements in earth, earth, water, fire, air, space. And these are inanimate. It's only through consciousness. So we, we take the, the index finger of the left hand and we grasp it with the right hand. This is Dainichi's mudra. If you, He's the only Buddha who has this hand gesture. So if you see that hand gesture, you already know who the deity is. Um, so these are quick and easy ways to identify the Buddha class. The bump of knowledge, the third eye, the elongated ears, and the hand gestures. And another way is the Buddha are always very, not always, but nearly always, there are exceptions. Simply dressed in a simple gown, with no ornamentation, no jewelry, no earrings, no funky crowns, but just a simple gown. The Bodhisattva, on the other hand, the Bodhisattva are the second highest class. And the Bodhisattva really means Bodhisattva. Sattva means being, and Bodhi means attaining Buddhahood. So the Bodhisattva 
we, in Japan they call the bodhisattva are called the bosatsu. Uh, these bodhisattva will surely become Buddha. They will become Buddha. They're destined to become Buddha. But for a time, they postpone enlightenment to stay here in this world among the living to help everyone else achieve the same state of consciousness. Now, these bodhisattva, you can recognize generally because they wear very wonderful gowns, princely gowns. Uh, they usually have earrings and ornamentations there. Their hair is in a top knot. They have crowns and such. So, for example, here's a, a, a bodhisattva face. You can see a very elaborate um, hair. You can see an elaborate crown. You can see uh, that... Yes, she's, wear, she's wearing earrings as well. Yeah, right. These yeah, little things. can't see it, but okay. Yeah, um, uh, yeah I'm, I'm sorry if it can't see so clearly. This, this one I bought in China. Usually the Bodhisattva are also identified as uh, serving the Buddha. And so usually a Bodhisattva will have a Buddha in, atop their crown. In this case, this is, we know this is the Goddess of Mercy. So we already know that this is going to be Amida uh, Buddha, Amida Nyorai, uh, who is the Buddha of infinite light and life. There are exceptions to all rules, but just remember bodhisattva are usually are adorned with uh, ornamentations, decorations, jewelry, necklaces, and uh, wear very uh, wonderful gowns. And there are exceptions. One of the most important exceptions is... Uh, Jizo Bosatsu. Jizo, whose name literally, literally means earth repository or uh, earth store, um, protects all of us in the six realms of karmic rebirth, but especially he is our defender when we die and go to the underworld where we have to undergo judgment. And, and then we are reborn in one of the six realms of karmic rebirth, but he's our defender. He is almost nearly always shown simply bald-headed monk wearing a very simple robe. Here we see him with his hands in prayer. This particular form of Jizo is nearly always found in graveyards, um, memorial stones. We'll show him with his hands in prayer. But more generally, Jizo is shown with a wish-granting jewel in one hand and a six-ring six staff in the other hand. And the six rings represent the six realms of karmic rebirth because Jesus goes to all these different realms to help everybody. Um, so if you see a deity holding a six-ring staff that's bald and holding a wish-granting jewel, you'll know right away, you'll know it's Jizo Osatsu. Then, of course, there are other levels. There are actually 10 levels of a spiritual consciousness. The very top is the Buddha. And then the, just underneath the Buddha is the Bodhisattva. And we just talked about them. Uh, under there, that we have the wrathful, fierce-looking Myo-O. And they are essentially, um, tra they're translated as wisdom kings or mantra kings. But they are always surrounded with fire as a, as a halo. And they're always holding very 
they're holding terrible weapons. They usually have fangs, and uh, <clears throat> they look fierce and wrathful. And uh, they mostly appear in the mandala. Basically, they are messengers of Dainichi Buddha, the Buddha, uh, the cosmic Buddha, the sun Buddha. And they look fierce and menacing because they want to frighten and overcome evil. And they also want to frighten people into becoming faithful. <laughs> um, below them is a, one of the biggest classes of uh, deities. And these are called the Ten, the Tenbu. And the Ten, which is the Chinese character, Japanese character for heaven, the Tenbu can be translated as heavenly beings, celestial beings, or um, we, in America, we'd probably say angels. Now, this group of deities is very interesting. They originally were Hindu gods that were subdued and converted to Buddhism and then adopted into the Buddhist pantheon. And there's a lot of them. Uh, you, uh, you will, there's like Benzai Ten, Bishamon Ten, Daikoku Ten, uh, Marishi Ten, any deity whose last, last part of their name ends with a ten tells you that they're part of this category. This category has both fierce and uh, gentle uh, deities. Two of the deities that you will probably see most often from the Tenbu group that, that are the, the, the neo-guardians. Uh, the, there's two of them, there's a pair. There's a, they're a pair. One has its mouth open, one has its mouth closed. They nearly always stand guard outside the temple. They stand on the left and the right of the temple gate as you go into the temple, one with mouth open, one with mouth closed. They represent Alpha and Omega. They represent all polarity, up, down, black, white, male, female, birth, death. And uh, very interesting is Agyo. His name is Agyo. See how fierce he looks? Agyo. This is representing birth, because when we are born, it's and when we die, this guy's name is Ungio, his mouth is closed. That's the last sound that you hear. So they represent birth and death. However, more interestingly, the first sound in the Japanese syllabary is ah, and the very last sound in the Japanese syllabary is mm. In Sanskrit, the very first sound in the Sanskrit syllabary is ah, the very last set, set, uh, syllables, mm. And that's why we have the holy word, om. Because it's, it's supposed to represent a to um, ah to um. So in Sanskrit, it's om. In Japan, it's om, isn't it? That's a question for you. In Japan, om. I think it's om. And, and in, in Sanskrit, it's am. Um. But anyway, that's just a very interesting sidelight. Uh, I really like these two guys. Uh, two of the greatest representations of these two are down in Nara at Todaiji. They were made by Unke. And if you ever in Nara, you definitely want to go to see uh, these guys. Um, then underneath that, you have any number of, as I'm, we're talking about the Tenbu, they can be militaristic like the guy we showed before. You, usually at temples, there's a central deity in the middle of the temple, and this deity is surrounded 
by four guardian deities, one from the north, south, east, and west. And they stand atop a demons. There's a little, little, I don't know if you can see that, there's a little demon there. Uh, so, because they subdue evil and they, they protect all four directions. So the Tenbu, who were originally were Hindu deities, are a huge class. There's hundreds of them. And they generally appear most frequently in the mandala art form. So that kind of wraps it up. There's too much information. But there are certain common characteristics of each class that help you to identify. The Buddhas, the Lampanalis, third eye, elongated ears, and the hand gesture. The Bodhisattva, princely dress, decorations, jewelry, fancy hair, possible crowns. The, tent, the, the Myo'o, the wrathful faces, the fangs, the fire, and the, the weapons. And then the Tenbu. The Tenbu are harder, harder to remember because they came from the Hindu pantheon and there's so many of them. Um, so that basically wraps it up unless you have questions. Mm. Uh, in Japanese, uh, Buddha is Myo'o, right? Nyorai. Nyorai. Nyo oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nyo Nyorai. Right, right, right. No, what am I thinking? So, Nyorai. Okay, so, Nyorai is a... This is the term that the historical Buddha himself, he called himself a Tathagata. That's a Sanskrit word, Tathagata, which was then translated Nyorai, right, by the Chinese. And the pronunciation in Japan is Nyorai. It's a very strange, well, it's a very difficult concept to explain, but Nyorai is, a, I'm sorry, Nyorai, Tathagata, is another word for Buddha. And it means coming from the origin or returning to the origin, coming from the source, returning to the source, Z thus come, thus gone. All of those concepts are part of the word Nyorai. Nyorai, just remember, Nyorai is the Japanese way of saying Tathagata, and Tathagata is just another way of saying Buddha. Bodhisattva, okay. yeah. yeah. again, is a Sanskrit term translated into uh, um, Chinese, and the Japanese pronunciation of Bodhisattva is Bodhisattva. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so like uh, the, I think the reason why that I wanted well, that, that I got confused to between Nyora and Nyorai and Myo'o is I wanted to ask you Myo'o as well. So yeah, uh, Myo'o is a wisdom king, but you know in English. But I just uh, you know in uh, in Japanese when I see Japanese and uh, when I see English, it just don't really makes a lot of sense that translation. So I was wondering. Yeah. You have uh, want to say something? Like well, that. essentially, they're luminescent kings. Right. They're linked to fire, mm -hmm. which is the burning away of all desire. Mm -hmm. And they usually hold a sword, which is the cutting through of a cutting ignorance. So the burning away of desire is the fire halo. Mm -hmm. The sword is the cutting a way of ignorance, mm -hmm. and then the, the king of, the, of those, that group, of the Myo'o, Myo, uh, is Fudo Myo'o. Uh, he, uh, he's the king of that group. He also holds a rope, and that rope uh, it, through which he binds up evil. 
and uh, the this this group of uh, deities are manifestations of Dainichi uh, Nyorai Dainichi Buddha, who is the central deity of the Shingong school and the Tendai school, and he's the central deity of of the mandala. So these uh, Myo'o, these luminescent kings let's translate it that way luminescent kings because of the fire mm -hmm. um that makes sense more yes <laughs> they are represented most often in the mandala and they surround and protect dainichi and they're they are his manifestations great the, great thank you so much i think you know we have we we have a plenty more information to digest tonight so yeah thank you so much for that so yeah if you guys think this information is useful please make sure to follow me on twitter and instagram and like me on my facebook and of course subscribe this youtube channel because that's how we do it in the 21st century and mr mark and i are doing that together thank you so much thank you Thank you so much. So I'll talk to you next time.